Welcome to Lethal Dose, your favorite toxicology-focused podcast where we delve into true crime cases involving drugs and poisons. My name is Venus Dineko. I'm a layperson fascinated by true crime. My name is Kayla Woods. I'm an author and toxicologist. Let's get started. So we're back with part two of Om Shinrikyo. And just in case you can't remember what it is we talked about two weeks ago, Venus, will you remind us where we're at with this doomsday cult? Yeah, so Om Shinrikyo is a cult that started in Japan mm-hmm. by named Asahara, Shoko Asahara. Mm-hmm. And he has grown the cult into a couple of different countries now. There mm-hmm. were some the, some infighting. They had some attempts of attacks with botulinum toxin that did not work out because <laughs> they are not the smartest group, it turns out, even though they're a bunch of sci-fi nerds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have these wacky caps that they're putting on people. Mm-hmm. They have gotten into a bunch of drugs now. They're tripping balls constantly. Mm-hmm. And now they're deciding to play with even more chemical weapons and see how far their grasp can reach. And their grasp can reach pretty far because they now have a bunch of front companies, which I didn't go into because it's just it's tedious. But they have money, so they're buying front companies, so they're able to do things like buy land. And it's not apparent that Om Shinrikyo is buying it because, like... They are a protected religious organization that gets the tax breaks in Japan, but, like, people know that they're kind of fucked up, and they know they're kind of fucked up because there's, like, minors that are involved in the cult and parents who are like, hey, I haven't heard from my kid for a while, and my kid's not even supposed to be a part of this organization because they're a minor. And a couple of the people they killed mm -hmm. were, like, people who wanted to defect from the cult. Mm -hmm. And so now anybody who's thinking about defecting from the cult knows what's going to happen. Exactly. So. And I don't think I gave numbers for it last time, but right now the head cult, head count of the cult is roughly 10,000 members in Japan. Not a small number. And there were 50,000 members in Russia. So their influence is even greater overseas. Well, in Russia specifically. I mean, they they did have other branches, I think, in Germany. They definitely had the one in Manhattan. But mm. Russia is like, that's where the most actually are. That is to say that they just have an enormous headcount. But their headquarters is still in Japan, right? Yes. Yes, Okay. Was. Right. Okay. And that's where Shoko Asahara is still mm-hmm. leading mm-hmm. things from. Okay. Yes. And all of the most important buildings in Om Shinrikyo were basically in the Mount Fuji compound. They had a couple compounds, but all of the really important ones were in the Mount Fuji compound. And all of the most important buildings in the compound were called Sashians, which is the Sanskrit word for truth. So it would be Sashian followed by a number. In June of 1993, the construction of Sashian 7 was completed. Sashian 7 was considered to be so holy within the cult that only monks who had achieved an especially high level of enlightenment could even step inside its dirty warehouse walls. Those who were granted access were permitted to worship at the shrine to Shiva, 
the Hindu god of destruction and Om's central deity. However, even this shrine was a facade. Behind the golden statue of the god was a two-story distillation column that led upstairs to the stainless steel holding tanks for the chemicals. On the second floor, there was also a submarine hatch that opened up to Ohm's sarin manufacturing plant and control room. Members in white lab coats and electrode caps busily went about monitoring the five reactor vessels suspended from the steel scaffolding and then reporting up to the third floor where even more chemists and engineers operated out of a dozen small offices. Members with the authority to work in Sashian 7 were also the only ones who were permitted to drink alcohol, and their stores of plum, grape, and rice wine were also on the third floor of Sashian 7. This may have been the only benefit to working and living in the most dangerous building on the Mount Fuji complex, but Asahara claimed to have asked the members if they were willing to risk their lives for the work and promised them a higher rank in the organization for their efforts. I mean, getting drunk, I suppose, is <laughs> something, but risking your life for it and being around all the dangerous chemicals, I don't know. <laughs> it's don't weird know. that they're like, yeah, let's get fucked up on LSD and meth, but alcohol is where we're going to draw the line. For- I'm, it, it is strange. It <laughs> is strange. About a hundred people in all worked day and night inside Session 7, producing sarin gas at their own peril and under the direction of Masami Tsuchiya, who had received his doctorate in organic chemistry from Tsukuba University. So what is sarin? We mentioned last episode that sarin is a nerve agent created by the Nazis, and listeners may recall that I briefly mentioned it in Cyanide Part 1, and said that sarin gas was one of the chemical weapons that was being produced mm-hmm. by I.G. Farben during World War II. Mm-hmm. The chemical name for sarin, it just rolls off the tongue, it's isopropylmethylphosphorofluoridate. It's a nerve agent, so it works as all nerve agents do by inhibiting acetylcholine esterase, which causes an excess of acetylcholine in tissues and causes you know, continued stimulation of the receptor. Because we've talked about it a couple times, I think, at least once. We talked about it in the run microdose mm-hmm. with organophosphate pesticides. Those are also acetylcholine inhibitors, and they have similar effects to nerve agents. These organophosphate pesticides do because they both inhibit acetylcholine esterase. And so their effects can be remembered using the acronym SLUDGE. And I love to just, like, tell people this. But the doctor keeps telling me that it's a weird thing to just tell people. (laughs) Well, it's not weird here. So sludge away. (laughs) Okay, sludge. Salivation, lacrimation, urination, defecation, gastrointestinal distress, and emesis. And what's lacrimation? Crying. Mm, Basically, you're just pouring Pouring out out of of all of your mucous membranes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And it's important to, I think, remember this, especially if you are or know somebody who works in, like, agriculture and could be exposed to these pesticides. Mm. It's more useful to know it for pesticides, but it's also something that if you're maybe a medical first responder, you would want to know in case somebody is exposed to nerve agents. Sure. You know? Sure. All nerve agents, very unlike botulism, are volatile liquids at standard temperature and pressure and can be easily dispersed with devastating effects. Sarin is a G agent, which is part of the U.S.'s stockpile along with the nerve agent VX, meaning that it is one of the most volatile of all nerve agents. 
Is that like what the the letter agent is like a ranking or I I think it must stand for something. Okay. I don't think it's like A B C D. I think it gotcha. stands for something. Okay. However, because of the nature in which it exists as a dispersed vapor, sarin presents toxicity as both a gas and a liquid. So both have to be taken into consideration. I didn't go into the measurements in the cyanide series because we mostly talked about oral exposure and I was trying to be as gentle as I could when we were discussing the use of cyanide inhalationally during the Holocaust. But there are specific measurements that can be used to describe airborne exposure for these gases, including something called an LCT-50. And this means a lethal concentration time dose for 50% of the population. Okay. For sarin, this amount is 100 milligrams exposed to someone for a full minute over a single cubic meter, which is to say that not very much is required to kill somebody mm -hmm. with sarin in a short period of time. For hydrogen cyanide, this number is 2,500 to 5,000 milligrams in that same cubic meter for a minute. So the sarin is much more potent. It is, yeah. Gotcha. And both of these are based on primate tests. When exposed to the skin, the LD50 for sarin is approximately 24 milligrams per kilogram, so it's pretty potent stuff. And does it still bring about the same symptoms? Mm-hmm. Exposure to the eyes as a vapor can also cause meiosis, which is constriction of the pupil, and then that can also actually cause constriction of the airways. So no matter how it gets into your body, it causes this like inability to breathe, it causes all the sludge stuff. Severely acute exposure to sarin progresses from these symptoms to muscle twitching and flaccidity, seizures and loss of consciousness, cyanosis, hypotension, brachycardia, and death from asphyxia because of an inability to control the muscles of the diaphragm and able to, mm. in order to breathe. This is not good stuff. It's causing all kinds of chaos on the body. Yeah. Like, just all at once. Like, this sounds like one of the worst ones. Like, yeah. Like, it's, it's it seems like it's just going zero to a hundred mm -hmm. and you're just going to shut down pretty quickly. <laughs> like, right. Now, unsurprisingly for Om Shinrikyo, despite Sashian 7 being a $10 million facility, it was built by misled sci-fi nerds wearing electrode caps who were fucked up on LSD. So sarin leaks happened with some regularity, at least the chemical precursors did, and this caused the exposed members to experience nosebleeds, eye irritation, and fatigue. Were there any accidental fatalities among the Om Shinrikyo members while they were learning about it, like figuring all of this out? I don't think that there were. I didn't read that there were. They definitely got sick a lot, and they were basically sick constantly, like their eyes were constantly irritated, things like that. But because they were primarily working with those chemical precursors, um, mm. I don't think that they were exposed to actual sarin gas. Yeah, gotcha. so I, I don't think that there were any fatalities. Okay. Residents in the nearby village of Kamakuishiki were reporting frequently smelling odors vaguely reminiscent of burnt plastic and their dairy cows stopped producing milk. All of the trees bordering the own compound also wilted and died. Yeah, this is not a good sight to see, <laughs> like, just this, like, spot of barren land, like, you're going about and just everything around you is dead and dormant, like. Right. <laughs> like, that's what they would depict, like, a haunted house looking like in right. a cartoon or something. Right, right, right. 
Police reports were made, and the residents demanded that Om be investigated and held accountable, but the members of Om Shinrikyo were known to be aggressive by this point, and the police also didn't want to infringe on their status as a legitimate religious organization, so nothing was done. Mm. By mid-February of 1994, the cult had produced anywhere from around 40 to 60 pounds of sarin, but this was not yet enough for their leader, Shoko Asahara, to be content. He wanted them to be mass-producing the chemical weapon by April 25th in order to successfully initiate Armageddon, as Asahara had predicted, and overthrow the Japanese government in the ensuing chaos. So is sarin difficult to produce? I'm not totally sure. There probably is somewhere I could have looked to be like, what is the manufacturing process for sarin? But it'd probably get you put on a list. I'm already on lists, I'm sure. So yeah, I didn't want to be put on that special list for the person who's looking up how to make sarin. But just judging by like the fact that they had like five reactor vessels in Sashian 7 and there's all these chemical precursors I was reading about, it seems like at least a multi-step process. Okay. And... I don't know. Organic chemistry also is one of those things that, like, that it could it could be more difficult than others. I could see that. I mean, there's no, like, synthet- like synthesis chemistry that's easy, but organic chemistry in particular, I at least feel, was really difficult. <laughs> I've always heard from everybody that it's hard and that it burns your smell, your sense of smell. A little bit, yeah. I mean, that's what fume hoods are for. But, yeah, if there's anybody who's, like, going to go into chemistry or is like about to go into organic chemistry go into it knowing that this is the class that weeds people out it's yeah you won't be making sarin but (laughs) it's gonna be fucked up and then is is 60 pounds of sarin a substantial amount yeah yeah it's a lot of fucking sarin that's enough to kill like 7600 people oh wow yeah they didn't want to begin using it for major acts of terrorism yet because they wanted to wait for mass production, but because they had it, they were like, well, let's fuck around and use it for individual assassinations to make sure that they would be prepared for the for Armageddon and for the individual assassinations. They were first like, let's test it on sheep. They purchased a 500,000 acre sheep station in Western Australia called Bonjawarn which was about 375 miles north of Perth, and they purchased this in April of 1993. Originally, they did this for the purpose of mining any uranium that was located in the region and then trying to use it to build a nuclear warhead. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Lofty goals again, I see. (laughs) And these shenanigans actually got them banned from Australia, the whole country oh wow for six months for fucking around with passport fraud and shipping dangerous chemicals like uranium ore and bottles of hydrochloric acid that were labeled hand soap (laughs) so they they didn't deter them at all they were like all right fine ban us for six months whatever but then then they just went right back they went back and they hired an australian to be a go-between between them and the authorities and he comes to the sheep station and he was totally like shocked and astounded to find just a a laboratory he was like this is not what a sheep station looks like right and it had you know more poorly contained chemicals and toxins and the one that he saw in particular that he was like you guys why do you have this was hydrofluoric acid in old whiskey bottles and hydrofluoric acid is 
it's pretty interesting because when you're learning about acid-base chemistry and like even AP chemistry or something like that, they try to distinguish between strong bases and acids and weak bases and acids. And for something to be a weak acid, it just means that it only partially dissociates in aqueous solution. And hydrochloric acid is a known strong acid. And people tend to conflate that with the reaction that it might have on your skin. Hydrochloric acid mm-hmm. will get on your skin. It'll make an acidic little burn. Your skin will turn white. It hurts a lot. With hydrofluoric acid, though, hydrofluoric acid is a weak acid. So it only partially reacts, essentially. Okay. So but, it's like diet hydrochloric acid. <laughs> but, except it's <laughs> far more dangerous to humans than hydrochloric acid. If you get a couple drops of that on your skin, it can actually cause a precipitate in your blood that can cause cardiac failure. Oh, so (laughs) the burn isn't what we're worried about, but more the after effects. Yes. And it doesn't even matter that it's a weak acid, you know. Right. So he saw this and he was like, why do you have this, you guys? Right. This isn't good. And then they had all the necessary ingredients for phosgene gas. Which he probably couldn't have identified, but still, like, they fucking had them at the They had too station. many chemicals to, yeah. to just be a sheep farm. Yeah. This is what we're shearing our sheep with now. <laughs> we're just nuking them. So, although this guy was concerned, he never quite figured out what they were up to. He was just like, they're doing some weird shit. I don't know. And then Asahara eventually decided he needed to explain himself to Australian authorities and to the lower level members of the cult who were like, why do we have a sheep? Why do we have a sheep station? We're not recruiting anybody in the middle of nowhere, Australia. He said to the Australians that he and all the other members of the cult needed these poisons to either protect themselves from constant attacks by poisons that were constantly being threatened on Ohm. Okay. Or so that they could protect themselves with the poisons. So they needed them. Mm, not buying it. Yeah, it's, not it's projection. Not selling It's yeah. projection. <laughs> the head of Ohm's Ministry of Chemistry, Masami Tsuchiya, he set up a testing facility and members tied up 29 sheep to wooden stakes and then exposed them to the sarin mists. After the attacks on the Tokyo subway in 1995, Australian police found the bones of the sheep scattered across the property. Mm. They were finally putting all of the pieces together, but right. it was a little late by then. So the first person targeted for poisoning via sarin gas at the hands of Om Shinrikyo was a man named Daisuku Ikeda, who was the honorary chairman of Soka Gakkai, which was the largest and most popular of the new new religions in Japan. The plan was for three of the members of Om Shinrikyo to kill Ikeda while he was giving a lecture by spraying two pounds of the vaporized sarin from an industrial sprayer mounted in the back of a truck. We're back on the truck game again, I see. <laughs> they really like these mobile poison machines. Like, Don't you just kind of imagine, like, Rocky and Bullwinkle or, like, yes. Coyote, the, yeah, the Coyote w- and the Roadrunner? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I do. It seems, like, very low-income. Like, the, the picture I have in my head is just very low-income, like, sprayer taped onto the back of the truck i mean i know that that's not the case but that's how i'm picturing it in my head well that kind of is what it is despite the fact that they had literally millions of dollars they're still like ah no this is what we're going with but 
mobile poison machine. And, of course, the sprayer malfunction. And And Ikeda was not hit, but Ohm's head of security was. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's fucking bumbling idiots. Seriously. He collapsed. He starts convulsing. And the cult physician was there and gave him an injection of the antidote. So he, he survived. And this, so, is th- this is the same guy who he garroted that other guy in the last mm, episode. Yep. So, like, I don't even feel bad that this guy got hit with sarin. So, but how effective is the sarin antidote and mm. how quickly does it have to be administered? So, there is a couple antidotes for sarin, but the main ones that seem to be used or that are at least on the CDC's website for, you know, what they recommend that medical professionals use are atropine and pralid oxime chloride, also known as 2PAM. But the main one of importance to OM and to victims or survivors of sarin attacks is the 2PAM, not so much the atropine. The 2PAM has to be administered relatively quickly, like within minutes, in order to be effective. And this varies depending on what nerve agent you've been exposed to, because it will work with organophosphates, it'll work with nerve agents, but usually you want to try to do it as quickly as possible. It's hard to say how effective it is because there are some who are like, if you administer it quickly and regularly, 2PAM and atropine have like the the best survivability rate when you use those two in conjunction with each other. But one paper I read summarized the whole situation with trying to figure out whether oxymes as a whole are useful for organophosphate poisonings. They said, 60 years of oxime research are 60 years of hope and despair. Oh, okay. (laughs) So people are split on whether or not it's effective. Because again, some people are like, yes, this is proven to work well. And then other people, specifically this one paper I looked at that did a meta-analysis of a bunch of different, I think, human case studies for organophosphate pesticide poisonings. They said that oximes as a whole could either have no effect or they could potentially be dangerous themselves. But it's also oh. like, what what do we do? There's no way to like... There's, I mean, yeah, that's where you have to like, like it might be a catch-22, yeah. but like it's one of those things might as well try because it's like if you're going to die anyway, mm-hmm. like yeah. might as well give it a shot. Right. And I think that's kind of where we're at. And there's no ethical way to do a test in humans with these they've done tests in rats and rabbits and things like that and they've done in vitro studies with human erythrocytes but there's just the only way that they can really test it is by getting case studies of people who have accidentally been poisoned but then it's like what's the control that you use like that's not super ethical so I don't know I mean it, it worked for the members of OM certainly but as far as like anybody else who might be exposed to organophosphates yeah, hard to say. Hard to say. Despite this failure to kill even one targeted person, the decision makers within Ohm decided that in June of 1994, they were ready for their first full-scale attack with Sarn. Like, let's just fucking go for it. Yeah, it didn't it didn't go as planned, but <laughs> let's go full steam ahead. Yeah. The reason for this was that in May of 1992, several landowners in Matsumoto filed a lawsuit against Ohm Shinrikyo alleging that Ohm had fraudulently purchased land. The organization had claimed they were buying the land in order to use it for a food processing plant 
but instead they had simply built a two-story office building. And the suit alleged that they had also done this using a front company so that the landowner was completely deceived about the nature of the sale. Hmm. Now, the decision on this lawsuit was supposed to be made by a three-judge panel on July 19, 1994, and Ohm's legal counsel predicted that the cult was going to lose this lawsuit. So, Asahara ordered the deaths of the judges, and anyone else who happened to be in the local office of the Nagano District Court in Matsumoto on June 20th. They're just... Fuck anybody who stands in in the way, like, we don't care about innocent bystanders. Well, I mean, the judges themselves are innocent, but, I yeah. mean, additional well, innocent bystanders. Like, If they're innocent, they'll go to heaven, and if um, they're guilty, they'll go to hell, and either way, right. your karma will increase, so. That's that's right. I forgot about their, their super, super sound logic when it comes <laughs> to murder. Right. So again, the sprayer was fixed so that the blunder with the religious leader wouldn't be repeated. But we've seen this sprayer and this these blunders over and over again, the botulinum toxin. But whatever, they they're always they always come back super confident. It'll work yeah. this time. Yeah. So this time the sprayer was installed in the back of a refrigerator truck customized by Ohm's technicians. A steel tank full of sarin was bolted to the platform of the truck and a heater and fan were installed to help keep the vapor out of the truck's cab. An attack with sarin vapor is really only effective in certain weather conditions because of its volatility, and these conditions were not optimal on June 20th because Matsumoto was experiencing cool temperatures and rain showers. The clouds parted on June 26th, and Asahara decided that it was time to act. The next day, while the weather was hot and dry, Ohm's chief scientist, Hideo Mirai, and a select team drove to Matsumoto with the rigged-out refrigerator truck. But, as bumblers do, Mirai overslept, and so so the group got a later start than planned. A group of lower-ranking members followed behind them in a minivan, but the refrigerator truck was so weighed down by the sprayer, the steel tank full of sarin, and the 30 car batteries weighing oh about 1,000 pounds that were needed to power the heater to vaporize the sarin. And so they couldn't go any faster than 30 miles an hour. <laughs> and they had to take back roads. see it, like, cruising along. <laughs> he is like that. Just, like, <laughs> fucking crawling along the back roads yeah. of Japan. Ay, ay, ay. With all of this, by the time they got to the courthouse, it was closed. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you sleep in late, and <laughs> and you can only go 30 miles an hour in your little poison caravan. <laughs> so, unfortunately, it still doesn't end well. They decided to attack the judge's dormitory in a neighborhood called Kaichi Heights. They parked the vehicles in the parking lot of a supermarket in the neighborhood around 10 p.m., and the members in the minivan kept watch while the senior members got the sarin antidote shots from the team doctor because they can be used prophylactically, that 2 p.m. Okay. And they put on their homemade gas masks, which consisted of a plastic bag connected by a tube to an oxygen cylinder. (laughs) (laughs) I I can just picture it. I can just picture it. They then drove. I mean, they have millions of dollars. Why aren't they buying like actual masks? Like, I have no idea. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I absolutely do, and I have 
no idea why they were like, let's have this be where we're like cutting corners. Cutting the corners, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they then drove a bit further away from the vacant lot downwind of the judge's dormitory and took shelter in some trees to conceal themselves. At 10.40, they switched on the car batteries in the back of the truck and opened the side window. The car batteries began heating the hot plate onto which the sarn was released drop by drop to allow it to slowly but steadily become vaporized. Now, again, I don't know the specifics of how to manufacture sarin, but it's probably considerably harder when you're not totally familiar with the process and you're making it in a fucking metal shack while you're fucked up on acid. That's a very good point that you have. <laughs> so the sarin produced by Om Shinrikyo contained excess isopropyl alcohol, which formed hydrochloric acid. When hydrochloric acid is heated on a hot plate like this, it vaporizes into a thick white cloud that can cause respiratory irritation and irritation to the eyes. So, so, it's so here we are in the back of a van with hydrochloric acid fumes filling the truck and they're trying to like blow it out with a single fan and trying to blow the sarin gas in the direction it needs to go. But sarin is dense. And so it floated close to the ground and the van, like the fan didn't do much to ventilate the truck. And so they're just like, they're just dying in this van for like 20 minutes. <laughs> just like crying. And they, it's such a stupid thing to envision. It is like they, they really just like can't get this down. They can't. Un but unfortunately, in that 20 minutes, they still released about three liters of sarin and that was able to. Even though it was low on the breeze, it was able to float on the breeze down to the judge's dormitory, but it also was floating down into houses and stuff. In, like, the neighboring area? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. But in their rush to leave and get away from the scene of the crime and this toxic cloud that they're creating and trying to avoid with their homemade gas masks, they forgot to turn off the vaporizer, which oh, you think would be the God. first thing you would do. You would think, like, get this to fucking stop. And so the hydrochloric acid cloud and the sarin gas followed them as they made their 30 mile an hour getaway out <laughs> of the trees. Nice. Nice. As I said before, the weather over the last couple of days prior to this had been nicer than it had been as of late. And so on the evening of June 27th, it was warm, warmer than it had been, and so a lot of the residents of the Meiji Insurance Department building that was in this neighborhood had their windows or their doors open to allow fresh mm. air to come in. And this, of course, also allowed the sarin gas to float into their homes. One man who was on his balcony smoking a cigarette that evening reported noting a sudden, pungent, irritating odor on the wind before he was struck with a headache, followed by dizziness, shortness of breath, and blurred vision. A woman in a different apartment was taking a bath when she suddenly got a runny nose, then stomach cramps, and then eventually lost consciousness. At 11.09, the first call to Matsumoto Emergency Services came in from a husband whose wife cried out in pain and then collapsed to the floor and began to convulse. And this was after he'd found his dogs convulsing outside and then come mm. in to get water for them, and then they died. Mm. By the time the paramedics arrived, the wife had already fallen into a coma. Oh, wow. 300 people were evacuated from the Kaichi Heights neighborhood. 54 of them were, were admitted to the hospital, and five were found dead in their homes. 
Doctors initially treated the survivors for organophosphate poisoning based on the low levels of acetylcholine esterase found in their blood, and two more people ended up dying in the hospital. In all, about 200 people were injured in this single attack. Do we know if the judges were even affected? Yeah, they were too sick to attend court, and so the case ended up, that that got suspended indefinitely. Okay, so, so, like, it, so it, it they did hit their, their targets, but they also hit hundreds of people that were unintended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, the husband whose wife fell into a coma, he was 44-year-old Yoshiyuki Kono, and he was the first person that the police suspected. They didn't have any reason to think it was Om Shinrikyo, so they just think it's this guy. And they'd found a number of, like, dead animals in the trees near the vacant lot where the Om members had parked. Mm. And they found chemicals in Kono's home, as well as dead fish in the pond behind his yard. And so what they theorized was that Kono was making homemade herbicides for his garden, and that was what had been released into the air on accident. But they were, like, hounding him. They didn't care that it was an accident because seven people died and, like, 200 people got sick. But Kono was being treated for brain damage. And his, you know, he was trying to raise his children on his own because his wife was I in a died. vegetative state. Yeah. She, I don't know that she died, but, I mean, after this, he probably pulled her off life support. Like, she sure. wasn't doing well. His kids had been injured, too. And then, finally, analysts, they studied the, the lot where somebody was like, oh, I saw a weird van up there. You should check out that lot. And then that's when they found the sarin and so they were like oh well the photography chemicals that we found in your house kono they couldn't have been used to produce sarin so i guess you're off the hook and it's like i don't know it's just it's it's dumb it's so fucking dumb but i think that the analysts like they only really looked into that clue about like we saw a van that was like it just had clouds pouring out of it (laughs) right They, because they got this 11-page letter that described the incident in detail, like, from oh. a point of view that, you know, suggests it was somebody in Om Shinrikyo. So do you want to read what this letter said? It is impossible to make sarin from the chemicals seized from Kono's house. Om Shinrikyo is guilty of the sarin attack. It has the manpower, materials, money, and motive to deal with this mad weapon. So the writer of this letter has never been revealed. It seems like it was probably a member of Ohm, but it could have been, like, a friend or a family member who somebody had, like, warned or had, like, been discussing it with. Mm-hmm. But it was probably somebody in Ohm Shinrikyo was my thought. But it was just signed H2H, so, like, H directed to H, and TK. But that's all we have. And then the letter continues. P.S. Matsumoto was definitely an experiment of sorts. The result of this experiment in an open space, seven dead, over 200 injured. If sarin is released in an enclosed space, say a crowded subway, it is easy to imagine a massive catastrophe. Yeah. Asahara and the others were so pleased with this whole attack and the amount of damage they were able to do with just a couple liters of sarin that they wrote a little song about Sarin, and they printed it in Om Shinrikyo's manual on Sarin production. So, Venus, will you do us the honor of singing the little Sarin song that Om Shinrikyo wrote? I'll do my best. (laughs) It came from Nazi Germany, a dangerous little chemical weapon. Sarin, Sarin, if you inhale the mysterious vapor, you will fall with bloody vomit from your mouth. 
Sarin, 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 the chemical weapon song of Sarin the Brave. <laughs> In the peaceful night of Matsumoto City, people can be killed, even with our own hands. Everywhere there are dead bodies. There, inhale Sarin, Sarin, prepare Sarin, prepare Sarin. Immediately poison gaps, weapons will fill the place. Spray, spray, Sarin the Brave, Sarin. And I have a hard time believing that that sounds any better in Japanese. <laughs> I have a hard time, too. <laughs> That's something special, and I'm glad that somebody was like, you know what we need? <laughs> we need a little jingle. We need a jingle. And this is after they already had their manga, or their, their anime, so they already technically had, like, a little like, a song about Om Shurikyo. And- yeah. Yeah, but now they have an end credits song, too. Well, a secret song that only people in Om Shinrikyo can know, because... Right. Yeah. Anyhow, so Asahara was... He was also emboldened by the fact that no one suspected Om Shinrikyo, you know, until this letter, but that took a while. That took months. And they were still able to carry on with their plans. He ordered that Sashi and Seven begin producing two tons of sarin every day. Oh, my God. In preparation for major mass casualty attacks on Tokyo and other large U.S. cities. Two weeks later, there was a chlorine leak that poisoned some of the members of Ohm and Station 7, as well as some nearby villagers. The fire department responded to the incident, but the members of Ohm sent them away angrily, accusing them of trespassing. Despite the fact that the emergency responders were there in part to help them since they had victimized themselves. But it's also possible that during this leak, they also contaminated their own water supply. So good two for one there. Yeah, Yeah, nice move. Shortly after this leak, there was another chemical emergency. On July 9th, there was a malfunction inside Station 7 that caused a key sarin intermediate compound to flow into the reaction tank and then leak outside of the building. Nearby villagers again complained of foul odors and dead vegetation, but Ohm representatives explained that they were making agricultural chemicals and threatened to sue the local authorities for harassment. I really hate that the local authorities were just so like, oh, they're a religious group. We yeah. can't intervene too mm-hmm. much with them. Like it gave them this like sort of shield mm-hmm. that other like if they were just a company, they right. would have not been afforded. Like they would have been investigated heavier. Like it's unfortunate. Yeah. Now, I want to point out that this was shortly after Asahara had, in May, decided that LSD should be used in some initiation rituals, and sometimes it was used without the followers knowing that they were being dosed. Everyone in Om Shinrikyo was fucked up. In October, they were also producing PCP, like 22 pounds of mescaline and meth. So, things are getting real dangerous. Like, they were already dangerous and bad, but they're getting, like, even more dangerous for the regular members. And so, like, there's just, like, a whole lot of chemicals that people are being exposed to, not even by being high-ranking members of this cult, you know? Right. Following the disappearances of the Sakamoto family in 1989, there was one journalist who began hounding Om Shinrikyo and even wrote two books on the cult. Her name was Shoko Igawa. And in September of 1994, she finally wrote the article that made Asahara feel just a little too perceived. And his mood alone, he didn't even have to say this to the people who were in this meeting, but 
but his mood during this meeting communicated to his followers that she needed to die. So is that like they were so hypervigilant that they were able to catch that? Or were they just like, sure, yeah, we're on board. Let's kill this Agawa lady. Yeah. You know? On September 20th, the head of Ohm Security and a select group drove to Agawa's Yokohama apartment. At around 3.30 in the morning, she heard an odd noise and got up to see what it was, and was greeted by a powerful odor and a pain in her throat. But she couldn't escape the gas that was seeping into her living room, because outside she heard the sounds of intruders on her doorstep. So instead, she ran into her hallway for what fresh air she could get, and through her window she was able to see a white car speed off down the street. Once the coast was clear, she drove herself to the hospital and was treated for a swollen bronchial passage that took two weeks to clear up. Igawa knew it was Ohm, obviously, and she said as much while she was on bed rest, and immediately following her statement, Ohm released their own statement that said, If the attack on Igawa is true, this must be a plot to entrap Ohm Shinrikyo. Indeed, there have been other attempts to frame Ohm. Oh my god. Yeah. So, what was the gas? Did they use sarin this time? No, it was phosgene gas. And Igawa and her medical team may have been able to determine that because phosgene gas has a characteristic smell similar to that of freshly cut grass or moldy hay. Mm. Phosgene gas is extremely dangerous, nonetheless. Whereas sarin gas is lethal around that 100 milligrams per minute in that Mm -hmm. cubic meter... Mm-hmm. phosgene gas begins to have severe effects when you're around 12 milligrams oh wow and that's in humans and it's known to kill rabbits around the 1000 milligram mark so it could have a really broad window but again this is humans to rabbits so it's hard to say sure it is estimated that phosgene gas alone is responsible for 80 percent of the deaths in world war one oh holy shit yeah and so it's been around for a while it's like a tried and true yeah, I believe this This may not have been created by Fritz Haber. It, it's related to mustard gas. I think that he messed around with it and considered using it, but I can't remember if he was the person who invented gotcha. it or not. Phosgene acts by denaturing proteins and lipids and disrupting other cellular functions and also by hydrolyzing to hydrochloric acid on the membranes of tissues and causing damage on those tissues such as the membranes of the eyes and nasal cavity, or even causing dermal burns. So that pain that she was experiencing in her throat was because there was hydrochloric acid in her throat. Oh, that sounds like a terrible time. Yeah. Of most concern, however, is the pulmonary edema caused by phosgene exposure that can cause death in as many as 24 to 30 hours after exposure because of a latency period that occurs while the damage is kind of settling within the body. Well, that is unsettling. Yeah. Well, that's part of why in World War I they were like, this is fucked up. You can't use chemicals like that. That's real right. fucked up. That's real, like, sneaky, sneaky. of you. Yeah. Right, because mm-hmm. you don't, especially, like, if it's you think you're fine for a while, like you yeah. might feel off or feel like irritated in your mm-hmm. throat and your lungs, whatever, but then you just die. Yeah, like, from pulmonary edema. Like, right. Jesus fucking Christ. In November, another leak occurred at Sashian 7, but this time the National Police Agency took soil samples from patches of dead plants and found methylphosphonic acid, which is a product of sarin degradation, which had also been found 
in the vacant lot near Kaichi Heights. At the same time, it was determined by police investigators that a front company of Ohm had purchased large quantities of the chemicals used in sarin production. Like, can we not put, put pieces two together? Two together, yeah. yeah. Fuck the police. Fuck the system. Their fear kept them from investigating the multiple accounts of abuse, drugging of members, torture, and kidnap that they had received up to this point. Right. This isn't, like, this isn't new, shocking news. Like, this is ongoing for years at this point Mm -hmm. that they've known about it. Yeah, and the lawyer who is heading the Victims Association disappeared. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that... It's only because they were so bumbling and fucked up on drugs that their body count didn't happen to be higher because it well could have been with how they were treating people that they used for initiation experience or whom they just trusted. Like, they could have easily been killing more individual people at higher rates. Yeah, if they weren't so fucked up, like, they definitely would have been. Like, yeah. They would have been more efficient, more, mm-hmm. like, they would have had their their bearings about them on the regular and actually been able to execute a plan instead of fucking up everything along the way right or they could have like just had these people that they were torturing in their own cult because you Mm -hmm. know not everybody had the same amount of power sure like not everyone in om shinrikia lived in japan not all of them lived in the compound and like even those in the compound like they weren't necessarily responsible for the shit that was going on Some of them were truly just victims, and they weren't able to escape. The initiations had gotten worse and more violent. Children were sick and malnourished. People were being drugged against their wills and with unknown substances. Like, they just keep saying in this book that I was reading, The Cult at the End of the World, that they would just be injected. And it's like, what were they injected with? No one knows. And and were they doing this just because? like For initiations, you know, to, like, better your karma or to, like, prove your loyalty or something yeah and they still had the electric shocks with the psi caps like the cult physician dr hayashi was actually working on a project inspired by mk ultra to implant electrodes into the heads of followers not just have the caps the caps are no longer good enough at this point so he was like creating incisions and putting electrodes in there and then rather than the six volt shocks administered by the caps he was administering 100 volt shocks what in the actual fuck is this mm-hmm. <laughs> like beginning in october of 1994 it is said that he administered 600 electric shocks to 130 followers allegedly causing some of them to forget the name of the organization that led them to this the name of their guru or even their own name i have no doubt like you're making their brain scrambled eggs yeah like and for okay. what right like, like just because you want to play mad scientist? Yeah, like, like, this is Nazi doctor type shit. Yeah, exactly. This is because you're just being weird and want to see what you can do. Right. Other members, specifically those who were trained to be soldiers for Ohm but tried to escape, recounted totally horrifying stories of torture and poisoning by the cult. They, in particular, knew too much, and they were far too much of a liability for Ohm Shinrikyo to ever let them go, and so... They had the privilege of the initiation of an apple crowned with thorns, aka the Datsura experiment. The cult what phys- tell us this. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> bad. It's real fucking bad. The cult physicians injected initiates of this barbaric practice with a drug that they called New Narco, 
but it was likely amylobarbitone. Another member who claimed to have been forced into this initiation said that over the course of four months, he was interrogated and went days without sleep or food, was given electric shocks, and over 120 injections of the drug. After all that was said and done, he had almost complete amnesia. So, like, I don't know what to make of the 120 injections. Was it less? Was it more? But he was a mess. He was a shell of a person. He'd lost 66 pounds, and the entire right side of his body was paralyzed. Oh, my God. Even in the Russian branches, things were as bad as they were in Japan, away from Ashoka Asahara, away from Mount Fuji complex. At least two young members, a 28-year-old and a 13-year-old, had committed suicide on separate occasions by the spring of 1994. The 13-year-old, at least, was known to have been a victim of bullying from other members who said he wasn't making any spiritual progress. He's fucking 13. Dozens of other Russian members had simply gone missing, and a group of families who were campaigning against the cult had also been formed in Russia, called the Youth Salvation Committee. The man leading this group was a Russian Orthodox priest named Father Oleg Steneyev, who had joined Ohm as a spy of sorts to learn their jargon and figure out their motivations. During an attempted initiation on Steneyev, he claimed he was forced to drink six liters of water, and this might have been part of the reason he actually stayed, like, despite them trying to fucking kill him with water, was because he knew that it was worse for the people who had already been indoctrinated into the right. cult. Like, he, if it's that bad when you're just getting in, yeah. I can only imagine what's going on, like, the further you go down the rabbit hole. So, he pulled members aside, like, pretty regularly, and he told them that Om Shinrikyo, which had so long claimed to practice both Buddhism and Christianity, actually knew very little about either religion. And he would at least know about Christianity because he was literally a Russian Orthodox priest. Now, leaders of the Russian branch of Om figured out what Steneyev was doing and attempted to kidnap him, but the 220-pound priest was too wide to simply <laughs> be forced into the backseat of a car, and so the would-be kidnappers had to flee when a police patrol car drove by. In December, Om members working inside Seishin 7 were still dealing with storage issues and leaks, so the chief of Om Shinrikyo's Moscow oper operation... Fumihiro Joyu attempted to recruit more Russian engineers into Ohm who had experience with sarin production, but luckily in this they were at least unsuccessful. Masami Tsuchiya, Ohm's head of the Ministry of Chemistry, made the decision to abandon sarin in favor of a production of another nerve agent with a chemical name of S2-diisopropylaminoethylmethylphosphorophanothiolate, better okay. known as VX. Much nicer name. <laughs> Much nicer. And this is what they wanted to use for their targeted assassinations instead. So what the hell is the VX? Like, you mentioned earlier that the U.S. stockpiled it when you were talking about the sarin as the G agent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But how did they get their hands on this one, too? So VX, it's slightly less volatile than sarin. It acts in the same way. They were probably able to produce it in a fairly similar way is what i would guess i mean they already had all those handbooks we were saying they were, mm -hmm. they were collecting last episode so they probably figured it out the same way but despite it being less volatile it is actually more lethal and slightly more dangerous because of that lack of volatility so the lct50 for inhalational exposure 
is only about 50 milligrams per minute per cubic meter. And the LD50 for skin exposure is 0.14 milligrams per kilogram, which is like the size of a pinhead. Holy shit. And again, this is from primate studies, but still, like, it's not something you want to fuck around with. The fact that it's less volatile means that it can last longer in the environment. So in cool weather, it can stay in the ground for weeks after it's been released. Well, this is a big yikes. Yeah. Especially if they're planning on dispersing it from one of their nice refrigeration trucks again. Luckily, that's not what they had planned to do for this. Okay. For, for whatever reason, they were like, let's just kill individual people with this. Maybe it okay. was harder to produce and you get... Less yield. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the first person that they attempted to murder was an 83-year-old parking lot operator named Noburu Mizuno, who had sheltered five women escaping from the cult in the summer of 1994. On December 2nd, Mizuno took out his trash in the morning, and when he got back inside his house, he collapsed and vomited. In the ambulance on the way to the hospital, Mizuno's pupils began to contract painfully, and he spent over six weeks in the hospital recovering from the whole ordeal, but he did survive. Okay. On December 12th, 1994, cult members posed as joggers and used a syringe to attempt to inject VX into the neck of 28-year-old former member Takahito Hamaguchi, who was threatening to investigate Ohm for their use of illicit drugs and probably them forcing illicit drugs on the members. Sure. Hamaguchi became aware of what was happening during this assault and actually managed to chase the members for over 100 yards before he collapsed. Because he was the jogger, not them. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, and he's probably not all fucked up on meth and shit. <laughs> right, right. He fell into a coma and was taken to the Osaka University Hospital, where he unfortunately died 10 days later without ever regaining consciousness. Wow. And the Osaka police had no leads for his cause of death. On January 4th, 1995, the man who took over the Society of Om Shinrikyo victims after the murder of Tsutsumi Sakamoto was attacked by cult members. 57-year-old Hiroyuki Nakakoa was walking across a parking lot when the head of Om Security again, this fucking guy, yeah. attempted to spray him in the face with VX, but luckily he missed. Nakakoa still fell into a coma for several weeks, but ultimately survived and actually did what he could to cover up the fact that he was attacked because he didn't want supporters of the own victims or the victims themselves to panic that, oh, shit, are we going to be attacked? Right. That was the VX trials. and They basically abandoned it after that. Okay. But it was around this time in early 1995 that Om Shinrikyo reached the height of their power. They had 20 facilities in Japan alone, branches in six countries, and their membership, as I mentioned before, numbered more than, like, 60,000. Like, there were 10,000 in Japan, like, 50,000 in Russia. It was insane. And around 10% of the Japanese members lived in Ohm's compounds. They had ties to Mexico for drug making, Russia for nuclear weapons, and the Yakuza in Japan for arms. They had been banned from Australia briefly. And they, Australia was really still the only country or authority who was taking them seriously. And this may have been because the cult managed to recruit police and military personnel from the main countries they worked out of. Mm. So that was, you know, helping to hamper any investigation into the cult, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And it was also keeping investigations of the disappearances from going anywhere. Oh, that makes sense, too. 
Like Jim Jones, though, the power of the cult was threatened by the media, and Shoka Asahara knew that. That's why he wanted to get rid of Shoko Agawa. journalist, yeah. On January 1st, 1995, Japan's largest newspaper, Yomuri Shimbun, published an article which stated that sarin degradation products had been found in the soil near the Mount Fuji compound, and the cult was suspected to be involved in the Matsumoto poisoning attack. Asahara immediately told chief scientist Hideo Murai to organize a cover-up in case the compound was raided. The remaining stocks of sarin were destroyed, and the ground floor of Sashian 7 was converted into a worship hall. Measures were also taken to remove any residual sarin and its intermediates, including washing the interior of Sashian 7 with a neutralizing solution and removing the top soil from around the base. Oh wow, so they like really went hard. They did. Documents were destroyed and chemicals were dumped into nearby wells. Oh, perfect. Yeah, perfect. So journalists from Yomuri Shimbun were invited to visit the compound and to see inside of Sashian 7 for themselves and to refute the claims of their earlier article. They were like, why don't you come and you can set the record straight with your Mm -hmm. readers. Instead of Shiva the Destroyer, the journalists were greeted by a 15-foot styrofoam statue of the Buddha on the first floor. (laughs) And the rest of the building was just made off limits, but it was explained that the second and third floors were used for meditation and storage. Later at a press conference, an attorney for Ohm accused the Japanese government of attacking Ohm Shinrikyo with a nerve gas. Mm. Yeah. Like, no, see, it was you. Actually, we're the victim. (laughs) Yeah. In late February, a 68-year-old who worked in the Tokyo Notary Public Office to name Kiyoshi Kariya was kidnapped by the cult. He had been worried about his sister, who had fled the Tokyo branch of Omshin Rikyo, and he had been threatened over the phone the night before to tell them where she was. Following this, he left a note for his son that read, If I disappear, I was abducted by the Omshin Rikyo sect. Oh, shit. Yeah. Korea was killed, likely with an injection of thiopental or potassium chloride, and then his body was microwaved, dissolved in nitric acid, and poured into Lake Motosu, near Mount Fuji. Yeah, so. But the threat of a raid on the compound wasn't eliminated by the press conference that Shoko Asahara had with the journalist from Yamuri Shimbun. And now that they had killed a Tokyo notary public office member, mm-hmm. now the police were going to get aggressive in terms of investigating Omshinrikyo. Well, it's about god dang time. I know. The Tokyo Metropolitan De- Police Department was actually planning simultaneous raids on both the Mount Fuji compound and other facilities in Japan. The police feared exposure to nerve agents, with reason, and sure. asked the Japanese Self-Defense Force, which is basically just their military, for okay. 300 gas masks and protective suits. Makes They're sense. Like, we are going into it, we're going into it head first, and we would mm-hmm. like to be prepared with more than just a bag and a tube connected to <laughs> right. cylinder. Right. So Asahara and his top aides were becoming desperate now. They had the power, but they also knew that things were becoming really precarious. And they needed to initiate Armageddon immediately if they were ever going to do it. But because they feared the raid and they had cleaned up everything, they had destroyed their stockpiles of sarin. They did still have mustard gas, phosgene, cyanide, and VX. But it seemed like they were wanting to steer clear of chemical weapons until the time was right or something. I don't really know what the reasoning was. They were on a lot of acid. 
So they considered dosing all of Tokyo with a cloud of LSD, like flying oh. over and dosing Tokyo. But okay. they couldn't they couldn't do that because they'd smashed the drone helicopters that they'd managed to acquire. And their home-built mill MI-17 chopper didn't work for some reason. I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) Still, like, they had to do something, right? Like, if you want to initiate Mm -hmm. Armageddon, I guess you got to fucking do it somehow. So, Saichi Endo decided to shoot a shot and suggested his favorite of all the toxins that they'd experimented with. It was definitely going to work this time. I've got it all figured out. Let's go back to botulinum toxin. No! <laughs> I mean, it's almost like, yes, because you know it's not going to work. Right, but <laughs> no it's one like... will get hurt. Right, but it's like, <laughs> my guy, haven't you learned? Have you learned nothing? But now, now, the reason it was going to work this time is because he had taken into consideration the inability of botulinum toxin to spread in an open space. Now he was going to attack in an enclosed space that would have hundreds, if not thousands of people exposed and unable to escape or avoid it. And that was the Tokyo subway. Mm. And now with that 11 page letter, there had already been some references to maybe there would be an attack on the subway. I'm not sure exactly when the subway attacks were talked about within Onchenrikyo, but it's not like this was like a novel idea that just Rome had. They were, at least Endo was, inspired to attack the subway because of previous biological attacks on the New York subway system in 1966 by none other than the U.S. Army. Oh. They had found that by smashing light bulbs full of Bacillus subtilis on the tracks that, quote, a large portion of the working population in downtown New York City would be exposed to disease if one or more pathogenic agents were disseminated covertly in several subway lines at a period of peak traffic. On March 15th, a single cult member was charged with carrying three briefcases into the Kasumigaseki station and leaving them at three different ticket gates. In each of these briefcases, Hideo Murai had ordered that vinyl tubes of botulinum toxin be mounted onto a ceramic diaphragm and then heated by batteries to create a steam of botulinum toxin, which would be blown out of the suitcase with a fan. The whole thing would be triggered using ultrasonic waves, so theoretically the passing of a subway train, but it didn't matter what waves triggered it, because they knew that unattended items were collected by subway attendants pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. and so even if the cases were found, they would still be effective. However, only one of the suitcases actually produced steam, And it turned out that none of them had been filled with the biotoxin because the cult member responsible felt too guilty to arm them and kill thousands of people in the Tokyo subway. Wow. Yeah. Do you think it would have worked? I don't know. I I mean, I kind of don't because it just doesn't disseminate well, but it is an enclosed space. So maybe. Maybe it would have hurt some people. Right. Babies and the immunocompromised pregnant Mm. people. The next day, on March 16th, 1995, two Japanese army sergeants who were members of OM learned about the request from the police for increased protection against biowarfare agents and tipped off Asahara and the other high-ranking members of OM Shinrikyo. Asahara and three of his top lieutenants determined that something would need to be done to create a diversion and avoid the facilities being raided on March 21st. It was Hideo Murai who first made the suggestion, 
that sarin should be sprayed on the Tokyo subway, and Asahara agreed, saying that, quote, that would cause panic. But that, that is a story for next time. Well, I can't wait for the conclusion. <laughs> yeah, well, originally we were going to do this in two parts, and then it became very clear that this is a three-part series. Yeah, I had no idea that there was so much that happened mm-hmm. in between and that they had messed around with it so much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I knew there was a lot of chemicals, but I was like, okay, so I'm going to do, like, botulism and anthrax, and then I'll do sarin, and it's like, oh, no, we're going to do phosgene gas and VX and potassium mm-hmm. chloride. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were definitely busy. Mm-hmm. They were definitely busy. They were busy and bumbling and high as fuck. Yeah. We'll tune in next time for the conclusion. Yay! But not really, because, oh, it's the sarin Tokyo subway yeah. attacks. Oh. But you gotta know how the story ends. Yes, yes. It's important. It's important to know how it ends. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For more Lethal Dose content, you can find us at Lethal Dose Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. For an overdose of content, subscribe on Patreon for exclusive episodes and much more. The show theme is Look Far by our dear wizard friend Fogweaver. More of their music can be found on bandcamp.com. Lethal Dose is created, researched, produced, and edited by Kayla Woods and Venus Dineko. Stay safe, and remember, the dose makes the poison.